adding electric trucks to a diesel fleet. Technology pushes the industry ahead and hot button issues in the trucking sector. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister Company, a global manufacturer of forklifts, high capacity lift trucks, and container handling equipment. Operations rely on Heister for everything from advanced power sources for material handling equipment to their industry-leading package of operator assist technologies, Heister Reaction. For more information, visit Heister.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we have witnessed a spike in diesel fuel prices over the past year. And those prices and a desire to turn to more environmentally friendly fuels have led some companies to move to electric vehicles for their fleets. What does it take to transition from diesel to electric power for a fleet's trucks? To find out, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, we uh, write often about uh, you know reasons about uh, why to add electric trucks to logistics fleets. Uh, there are lots of those. Uh, sustainability, as you mentioned, emissions regulations, uh, diesel prices, of course, um, and environmental social governance, ESG goals. Uh, but you know, it, it's not as easy as just uh, going up, swapping some in to the same parking spot in your lot there, because electric trucks have some different profiles, different requirements than diesel. Uh, to learn more about that process, we have our guest today who's recently uh, launched a project to go through with this type of thing. Uh, he is Troy Basso, and he's Vice President of Fleet Maintenance at Quantix. Uh, Troy, we appreciate your being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, first off, could you please just tell us a little bit about Quantix as a company and, and what role it plays in logistics and transportation? Well, Quantix started as A&R Logistics, just a bulk pneumatics transportation company. And through the years, we've grown from simply a transportation company to a supply chain solutions company through bulk and liquid and warehousing and rail. And we're kind of in our 3PL division. We've, we've, we're trying to uh, package everything up and become a solution for a customer rather than just an ends to a means or means to an end rather. Got it. Yep. Makes sense. And, and why did the company decide to get into electric trucks? Uh, I understand Quantix has a set of 10-year environmental sustainability goals and chose battery-powered vehicles, uh, I believe in this case one from Peterbilt, uh, as a way to reach them. Yeah, we purchased two 579 Peterbilt electric vehicles. The logic here was uh, was not exactly straightforward as, you know, we're just going to replace a diesel truck with an electric truck. It was you know, we truly think that the future of trucking is going to land somewhere in the hydrogen fuel cell world. And a hydrogen fuel cell truck is half electric. So this project is giving us exposure and a voice in the development of that technology with Peterbilt. And the second was with our sustainability goals that we have internal to the company that have not as much to do with trucks as we do with the way we handle our chemicals and the way we store things and the light bulbs that we burn. This was a good fit. And we had to do a bunch of data analytics and, and 
figure out where we could put them. Once we decided we wanted them, we had to find a home for them. And what you learn is finding a home for an electric vehicle in a truck in the world is not exactly the easiest thing you've done. Interesting. What, what, why is that? Well, they have a set of strengths, obviously, and they have a set of weaknesses. And the biggest weakness is your range. Mm. And in a majority of our operations, we need to run 600 miles a day. You can't 150 mile range on a charge isn't uh, isn't doable. But what we found was in our drayage operations on the East Coast, we go from our warehouse to the port back and forth every day, and we can run three three trips in the morning charge it over lunch and run a final trip for the day with an electric and make it fit into our model because it won't fit everywhere. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that that uh, that, that that distance, that endurance uh, is really crucial. And, and the technology, it sounds, it is, is not there yet for, for long distance uh, overroad. Well, the technology is there. The problem is the technology weighs so much we can't use it right now. Mm. Uh, the truck is great the battery weight is your negative and to add more range obviously you got to add more weight and until battery tech not the actual battery technology catches up with the technology that the oems have designed on the trucks to make them run it's going to be a stop gap you have to really consider when you're going to put these in your fleet is you know can you can you use them and it be a feasible operation you know you can you can't just use them as a gimmick we wanted to use ours to move freight and and make money so that we could do some statistical analytics after a year and say, okay, you know, the cost of this one was this much and the cost of a diesel is this much. And just, right now there's so many unknowns that if you have a model, a place where you can put it, it's great because in a year I'm going to erase all the unknowns because I'll know, I'll know how much electrical charging costs, you know, I'll know what the maintenance cost is on these because no one's ever had them, so no one can tell you that. Yeah, what, what really fascinating time uh, to, to be in the industry, and, and and it's really exciting that there's some some hard data that you guys are going to get on this. Um, to to continue down that path, um, did Quantix, you know, have to make any changes in its operations? Uh, for example, I don't know, you know, training mechanics uh, to maintain the yeah. type of model, for example. Well, one of the beauties of this was purchasing it through Peterbilt, there was a training program kind of included for our technicians. So it was more or less part of the purchase. We trained our technicians to work on the high voltage piece of this truck. And then, and when you see one, it's really simple. The whole truck is really simple. It's, it was shocking. It was so simple, but there are some componentry there that do have a lot of voltage stored in them. And you got to teach you guys how to be safe. We have to, the only operational change is we have to dedicate a wrecker service in case one of these to break, breaks down because, I mean, it's a truck. It's going to break down. Diesel trucks break down every day. There's some safety measures that you have to train your wrecker company on to make sure the drive, the record driver doesn't injure himself while he's trying to hook up to it. Hmm. I didn't realize that. Well, the, the, you know, you've got a motor for each wheel and each of those motors stores electricity. And we know to power the truck down. And dis that discharges all, all that. You have to teach the record company to do that because they're not aware of that. I don't want them pulling on an axle and taking a 480 volt shock on the side of the road. So we're we're dedicating a single record company to handle any breakdowns that we have. 
you know, anticipating having none, but that's not the reality of the world we live in. So that was really the only operational change other than we built, we chose to build our own infrastructure. We own our chargers, our chargers are on our property and we did a lot of, there was a lot of construction and electrical engineering involved to do that so that we don't have to depend on opportunity charging just wherever you can. We actually have a, for lack of a better term, a fuel station in the truck's parking spot. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And you anticipated a question there about how that charging infrastructure works, but it sounds like that's something that you worked on for some time to, to really make a, a powerful, uh, efficient charging opportunity when that truck is in that particular spot. Well, just to give you an idea, we had the initial discussion in February of 2020, because I remember it was right before we got into the COVID world, and we have worked pretty diligently on it. You know, I tell people that ask, you know, we, we're interested in this. Well, if you start today, you should be ready to have a truck in 18 months, because there's so much it goes. It's a two-hour podcast about infrastructure, but we were lucky that we had new construction. We had rail on site, which is key because you already have high voltage on your property. Hmm. So all the planets kind of lined up for us and it still took me a year to get everything done. Yeah, that's fascinating, Troy. And, and again, you're sort of anticipating my next question here. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what lessons that Quantix might have learned along the way on this process and in case there's any advice that we can share with other companies that might be considering adding electric trucks to a diesel fleet. Oh yeah. And the first thing is you can't, you can't approach this as you're replacing diesel with electric. You have to replace it as you're augmenting your diesel with an electric. And the second lesson is, you know, it's application driven. If you don't have a, a an application that works with the range and the weight of an electric truck. And this is, this is just, it's simple. There's, this is not a road you should go down. There's a lot of negativity surrounding this. Oh, it won't work for me. And that's why I just did a big uh, seminar at the national tank truck carriers convention. And I, I told several people, I'm like, you're exactly right. It's not a fit for you. It's not a fit for everybody, but those of us that can make it fit, I think we're pushing, you know, the industry towards, I, for the lack of a better term, is a cleaner future that you know may or may not come in my lifetime. But we've we've got to learn it and we've got to put it into place. And you know nothing's perfect. We've got to identify the shortcomings that the current models have and and just and learn to grow with those shortcomings. You have to have an open mind to want to do this. If you don't, you're gonna it's gonna not be a pleasant experience. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, really fascinating times we live in, and, and it's exciting to be on, on the leading edge of it here. So uh, we, we appreciate your spending some time and and, uh, and and sharing that those lessons learned. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me. I like talking about this stuff. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, thank you. Uh, with us today on the podcast, we've had Troy Basso from Quantex. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Troy and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote about how companies are embracing new technologies to counter some of the supply chain stressors that they're feeling. Can you share what you discovered? Sure. Yeah, that's right. So we saw more news this week about how technology, as you say, continues to play a big role in supply chains, uh, particularly when it comes to managing risk and dealing with the disruptions and cost increases that uh, business leaders have been faced with uh, since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
So uh, supply chain professionals are leveraging things like artificial intelligence and automation to navigate those challenges and, um, quote, future-proof their company's supply chains. And that's according to a recent IBM Institute for Business Value survey of more than 1,500 chief supply chain officers and chief operating officers. So this report is called Own Your Transformation, and it digs into how supply chain leaders are navigating pandemic-related challenges, inflation, environmental concerns, and uh, international issues and events. IBM surveyed CSCOs and COOs in more than 35 countries across 24 industries and found that most of them are increasing their investments in things like automation, AI, and intelligent workflows to uh, deal with those challenges. Specifically, the report found that nearly half of CSCOs surveyed said they've introduced new automation technologies in the last two years, and they're doing that to add predictability, flexibility, and intelligence to their supply chain operations. The study also found that those same professionals are using AI to help monitor and track their own performance. Another interesting statistic from the report deals with sustainability and the environment. Uh, supply chain professionals ranked sustainability as their third biggest challenge in the next few years, and that comes behind um, uh, supply chain disruptions and technology infrastructure. More than half of the supply chain leaders place sustainability at or near the top of their priority list, and 50% said that their sustainability investments will accelerate business growth. So it's a pretty wide-ranging uh, study and um, of, of quite a few uh, supply chain professionals. Yeah, it, you mentioned 1,500 professionals were surveyed for it. Did anything else stand out in the report? Yes, um, it also um, identified what the authors refer to as the innovators. And those are the 20% of respondents that stand apart from the rest when it comes to accelerating these data or technology-driven innovations. And this group um, is outperforming their peers in many areas, including by reporting 11% higher annual revenue growth, according to the report. Some other things that uh, innovators are doing uh, to stay ahead of the curve include integrating automated workflows across their organizations and with their business partners, modernizing their technology infrastructure, extending their sustainability initiatives and creating new products and services, and also placing a greater focus on cybersecurity. So quite a few things that the top performers are doing to uh, stay ahead of the curve, as I said. Right, and it just shows how innovation continues to drive our industry. Thanks, Victoria. Absolutely. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week about the appointment of the next administrator for the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Can you tell us what that selection signals to the industry? Uh, yeah, this was an interesting one, Dave. Uh, we, we heard, as you said, about the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, FIMSA, is what people usually uh, say to, for shorthand there. Uh, that's, of course, a unit of the Department of Transportation, and it's the federal government's regulatory body for the trucking industry. Uh, it's not a well-known body outside of logistics, but it's really important for supply chain operations. Uh, most people hear about FIMSA when the uh, when the administration upholds rules or makes changes about things like uh, they have a clearinghouse of driver drug and alcohol testing results. Of course, they applied the electric electronic logging devices, the ELDs, a couple of years ago. Uh, they enforce hours of service caps on how long truckers can drive in a single shift, uh, and occasionally they ease those uh, those regulations, particularly the hours of service caps, 
in times of emergency. Uh, we, we saw it just this week uh, when they eased the hours of service caps in Florida, of course, uh, to aid in recovery from major storms like Hurricane Ian that we've all seen. So there's a new FEMSA administration administrator now. She's a woman named Robin Hutchison. She was a DOT official who had previously been director of public works for the city of Minneapolis, and before that, transportation director in Salt Lake City. So Hutchison becomes the second FEMSA leader during the Biden administration. Uh, that follows the departure of Mira Zoshi, who had left the position in January. Uh, she went to serve as a uh, administration uh, deputy mayor in New York City. And an encouraging sign, by the way, in these days of political divisions, uh, Hutchison was actually confirmed by unanimous consent in the Senate. We've talked about some of the important supply chain issues at the beginning of your discussion. Uh, do you know how the trucking sector is reacting to this appointment? Uh, good question. They, they seem to be pleased with the appointment. Uh, there were statements of congratulations uh, that we saw from the American Trucking Associations the Intermodal Association of North America and the Truckload Carriers Association. Uh, that those three major groups uh, all said that they liked her stated goals, uh, which were things like working to create more parking spaces for trucks, uh, to ease supply chain bottlenecks, and to recruit and re retain more drivers. Uh, of course, if I'm going to be cynical, it's really typical for any industry group to applaud a new government regulator, if only during the honeymoon period. So we'll see if that lasts, but uh, but still, so far so good. Uh, but there's also one group uh, that was a little less pleased, and that's the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association, OIDA. Uh, so they pointed out that during Hutchison's nomination hearings before the Senate, uh, she had supported the idea, uh, which really promoted by uh, the American Trucking Associations, among others, that the industry is suffering from a persistent and long-term truck driver shortage. Uh, However, OIDA has long argued that instead of actually having a shortage of potential drivers, there are plenty of workers. It's just that employers need to offer better working conditions. Uh, so that, that's been a long-running debate there. Uh, OIDA also pointed out um, they are wary uh, of Hutchison's support for there's a plan of allowing younger drivers potentially to enter the profession. Uh, this would allow drivers under 21 to cross state lines uh, while hauling a Class 8 truck. Uh, there's an initiative called the Safe Driver Apprenticeship Pilot Program, which will begin sometime soon, a three-year plan to test the, that use of under-21 drivers. Uh, OIDA warned that you know younger drivers might cause more crashes, uh, and they said instead a better way to increase the employment pool is to recruit more drivers um, by enhancing driver compensation, of course, but also reducing excessive detention time at picking up and dropping off loads. Uh, eliminating uh, predatory truck leasing schemes for the financing and bringing more women into the industry. Uh, so it, it's just different philosophies uh, on approaching some of the challenges here, but the appointment uh, really was a good way to shine a light uh, on some of those issues that the industry is struggling with. Yeah, it certainly was. Thanks, Ben. Glad to. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Troy Basso of Quantix for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. And speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, 
Supply Chain in the Fastlane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister. With strength, durability, and their industry-leading suite of lift truck operator assist technologies, Heister powers your possibilities. For more information, visit heister.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.